Uh, I'm excited to uh, be speaking here in Chesterfield, but also Rotherham and Sheffield. I'm able to speak there today. We've got different speakers across this series, but, and also we want to welcome people if you're new. If you're new to Icon Church in any of our campuses today, or if you're new watching online, it's so good. Come on, why don't we, as we take our seats, welcome any person that are here for the first time. That's so, so good. Well, I'm glad that the weather's cooled down a little bit. I got told off the other day, Jeannie told me off for actually saying, uh, you know, like it's too hot. Like, don't complain, she said, so, so. But I'm glad it's cooled down a bit. Anybody else glad it's cooled down a bit? Because I wonder what your number one tip to beat the heat is. Uh, Maybe you've got a, a fan like this. Actually, do not buy this fan. I'm not going to tell you where we bought it from because it is absolutely useless. <laughs> I can just feel it. Actually, this is much better. This little doggy fan. It's much, much better. Buy this one. This is fantastic. That's really, really good. Or as has been the last few weeks in church, offering envelopes. Like last Sunday night was so hot in church, you looked around, everybody has just got the offering envelope out, and thank you so much for doing that, because it meant we could keep the building cool. Summer Breeze, this is a series really about us being refreshed, restored over the summer period. I think that's what summer's for, don't you? That's, that's what that season's for. That's its holiday season, and right now, you know, in some of our campuses, the kids have broken up, families are going on holiday, people are going, enjoying different spaces, because we know it's a time to relax and to be refreshed uh, in, in that, and, and it's also a time for us to, to cool down a little bit, even though the weather gets hotter, it's a time for us to cool down, and I wonder, right, because I'm curious, do you know anybody that's angry right now? I mean, if you don't know anyone that's angry, you're not on Facebook and you're not on Twitter, you know, because this is probably the angriest period of our lives or time of our lives. Uh, I mean, maybe here today or online or in Rotherham or Sheffield, you are battling with feelings of anger. I know that I am. Someone asked me recently, what's the, been the most prominent emotion you've experienced like over the last 18 months? And as I thought about it, I was shocked because I'm not normally an angry person, but I had to say that it had been anger. And that surprised me because, like I say, I'm not normally an angry person. And so the first part of this Summer Breeze series, all about having a great summer, and uh, at this time of year, being refreshed, recharged, and boy, do we need that. And, uh, and we need it because I think, you know, our batteries feel empty. My battery feels empty. I'm preaching to myself today. I feel like an iPhone right now. I feel like an iPhone 8, you know, or some other smartphone. My battery used to last a lot longer. Anybody else feel like that? It just needs, it seems like you're charging it all the time. Well, the first part of this Summer Breeze series, the title is Beat the Heat. How do we stay cool? How do we climb down from anger? How do I climb down from anger? I can't wait to hear what I've got to say today because I need it. (laughs) Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that we can gather as your people today and we can gather and worship you and we can gather around your word. 
And I just pray that you will speak to us and you will speak to us in such a way that this summer period will be a period of refreshing in every campus, in F, for every person, in Icon Church, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You see, the tension is, what do I do with feelings of anger? Because we all feel angry at times, don't we? Whether you're saying like me or not that, you know, this period, maybe that's been the number one emotion you've experienced or the most prominent emotion. Maybe you're saying that or you're not saying that, but we all feel angry. At times, we get angry with ourselves. We get angry with our children. We get angry with our prime minister. We get angry with the newspapers. We get angry with all kind of things. What do we do with those feelings of anger? Because we don't always know. And maybe today you think, I know where this message is going. Paul's going to say, God doesn't want us to be angry. You think that's where I'm going. Well, it's not. That's not where I'm going today. I want to say today, we need to use our anger. We actually need to use it in a right way. Uh, Let me read this verse from Ephesians chapter 4. Two verses, actually, verses 26 and 27. The Apostle Paul is speaking to a church and he says this, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You see, we think it's a sin to be angry. But Paul says that's not the sin. It says be angry and do not sin. Now, now, anger can quickly lead to destructive behavior and destructive thoughts and sinful uh, uh, behavior. We would all agree that, wouldn't we? We see that all across our world. We see that in our lives. And there's lots of people today who are angry and they're sinning. But Paul says, don't you be like that. You can be angry, but do not sin. He also goes on to say, Don't give place or room to the enemy, the devil, he says. That actually anger can lead to sin, but it also can lead to you giving a room, an access, a place to the enemy in your life. And we need to realize that. We need to realize that in every area of our life, in our family, in our marriage, in our friendships, even in our church life, that anger can actually cause us to sin, but anger can also give the enemy a foothold, a place. So anger's a big problem. It is a problem. And Paul says it can actually be a door for the enemy to come in to those areas of our lives. So what does Jesus say about this door? John chapter 10 and verses 9 to 10, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. I'm the gate, he says, I'm the door for people to experience God's love. I'm the door for people to experience God's presence and God's power. Enter through me and you'll be saved. You'll be saved from sin. You'll be saved from yourself. You'll be saved from the destructive powers of this world. I am the gate. And then he says the thief, (coughs) excuse me, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy But I have come that you might have life and you might have it to the full. Jesus said, I've come. There's a thief that wants to still kill and destroy. There's a thief that wants to get a room in our friendships, in our relationships, in our marriage. And anger can be that door. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. 
You know, let's just pause for a second. Let's just ask ourselves that question, where's life? Where's life? It's in Jesus. It's not in anger. Let's remember that. It's in Jesus. Let's not just quote it. Jesus said, I've come to give you life. Let's not just have it as a fridge magnet, if anybody still has fridge magnets, and, and, and quote it and have fridge magnets or posters, but live as if life was somewhere else. No, let's remember that life is in Jesus, and let's also remember that there's an enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And so Paul says, don't give the enemy a foothold. Through your anger, don't let the enemy come in because he just wants to kill, steal, and destroy. A foothold, that uh, word in the original language means an opportunity. Through anger, you can give the enemy an opportunity. It means a location, a place, a room. And nobody wants that, right? I mean, imagine having a spare room in your house. Maybe you've got one, and you invite the devil to live there. Some of you say, I've got the devil living in my spare room. But, but, but imagine, and some people are like, oh, that would be fun. That would be an adventure. No. No, it wouldn't. Because the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give us life. And you know that anger can do that? Anger can open the door to let the enemy live in our world. Anger can let the enemy live in our marriages. Anger can let the enemy live in our friendships. Anger can let the enemy live in our church. So we need to cool down. We need to chill out. We need to climb down from anger. James, the brother of Jesus, you all know I love James, right? He says this in James 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, don't you love that language? My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Human anger, he says, doesn't produce the righteousness. And that word righteousness can also mean justice. It doesn't produce the righteousness, the justice that God requires. And when he uses that word righteousness, he, he, he talks about that human anger can't cause us to live like God wants us to live in his kingdom. That actually human anger will never lead me to live like Jesus. You see, the goal of the Christian life is to bear the image of God, to be like Jesus. And how would, to ask the question, how would Jesus live if he were me, if he had my life? And anger, human anger, will never produce that. And also, human anger doesn't produce justice. We can, we can think, we can get so angry at stuff, but our anger will not produce the justice that we required. So what am I angry about? What are you angry about? Is it giving the enemy a room in my life? Is it stopping me from becoming a follower of Jesus or even growing as a follower of Jesus? You see, it has that power. Here's the root of your stunted growth, anger. Let's ask that question today. Human anger never produces what God wants. But there's another type of anger. It's called righteous anger. There's two types. There's human anger and righteous anger. Because Jesus got angry. In the last week of Jesus' life, five days before 
he goes to the cross. He comes into Jerusalem and he goes to the temple. Now, in those days, at that time of year, like if you were a Jew, everybody went to Jerusalem. The population of Jerusalem went up, some estimates say, from about 45,000 to quarter of a million plus because everybody that week came into Jerusalem. And Jesus goes to the temple, and in the temple, he sees hypocrisy, he sees greed, he sees abuse, he sees people misusing his father's house in the temple, and he does something totally out of the ordinary. He has righteous anger, and he flips over the tables of the money church changes. Let's, let's read it. Matthew 21 says it this way. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The, then, we should pause there because then, when he'd done that, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. You see, the blind and the lame were excluded. But when Jesus had changed what was going on in the temple, they were able to come and be healed. Let's read John's version uh, of the same event. It said, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. And so he made a whip out of cords and drove all of them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered what was written. Zeal for your house will consume me. John chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. I mean, he got a whip. He was pretty angry, right? I mean, he went all Old Testament on them, didn't he? Let's just nuke him. <laughs> he did that. And it seems uncharacteristic for Jesus, but he did get angry. He didn't get angry every day. And he didn't get angry about trivialities. But there were some things that stirred up a righteous anger in him. You see, when you think about Jesus, he's not known for his anger. He's known for his love. That he loved the outcast, that he touched lepers, that he forgives sinners, that he heals sick people. He's known for his love, not for his anger. And Jesus also never seems to get angry because of what others did to him. Paul, as we've read, said, be angry, but do not sin. James tells us that that human anger never produces righteousness. It's never right. It never produces the right living that God requires and the justice that God wants. And Paul says to us that human anger can actually open a door for the enemy in our lives. So yet, Jesus got angry. And I think we need to climb down from human anger. We need to cool off but we need to use righteous anger to affect change in our own lives and in the lives of our world. I said earlier how I've been angry, and I would say most of it's been human. I, I was, I, I've been angry about the stuff we couldn't do as a church. I had to write a report 
you know, for uh, the annual report that goes to the Charities Commission about the church. And I was just listing all the things we couldn't do last year. All the things as a church, because of the pandemic, we weren't, we had to cancel. You know, we had canceled culture in church because we had to cancel this, we had to cancel that. Conferences, imagine, summer clubs, etc. All of the stuff. And it was a long list. And I was fuming. I got angry. Most of the anger I've experienced, I would say, has been human. But I also got angry about George Floyd. I also got angry about other injustices. Some of it was righteous anger. But it's only righteous if it affects change in me. It's only righteous if it changes me. You see, when we get angry, we want it to change the other person. We want our anger to change the, someone else. But righteous anger changes me first. Changes me in my position. And I have to say, when I got angry about George Floyd, upset, angry, it's changed me. I'm a different person because of it. So I want to have a look at Jesus' anger this morning and, and this situation in the temple and just pick out three things about righteous anger. Righteous anger that changes us and then transforms others. Here's the first. Jesus was angry on behalf of those who were mistreated. He wasn't angry about what people did to him, but he got angry about the injustice that people were doing to one another. He wasn't angry. We don't see him getting angry when people criticized him, and they criticized him a lot. When they disagreed with his views, and the Pharisees were always disagreeing with his views, he didn't get angry when somebody posted something on Facebook. I know he didn't have Facebook that he didn't like or Twitter he didn't agree with. But he got angry when others were hurting. And he got angry when others were being mistreated. You see, remember the passage we started with, be angry but do not sin, because it's natural to get our feelings hurt. Your feelings will be hurt when people lie about you, when your feelings will be hurt when people let you down. Your feelings will be hurt when people criticize you. Your feelings will be hurt when someone betrays you. But the Scripture's pretty clear how we deal with that. It's pretty clear how we cope with that. In our anger, we do not sin. And it says that we forgive just as God forgave us. You see, forgiveness is your spiritual superpower to ensure that the anger you feel doesn't lead to sin or that our anger doesn't give the devil a room in our house. Forgiveness is the superpower that'll shut that door to the enemy. Forgiveness is the superpower that'll mean you can be angry about something, you can be hurt about something, but not sin. Because sin always separates. If I get angry with you and I sin, we're going to separate. If you get angry with me and you sin, it leads to sin. We're going to separate. If I get angry with you and it opens a door for the enemy, it will separate. But it won't just separate us. It will separate me from God. Just like it did in the garden, it will separate us from the good things that God has for us. You know, if I'm angry for years and years over something someone said or did or didn't do, at some point I need to find healing in my life for that. Jesus was not mad about what people did to him. And there were lots of groups that did lots of bad things to Jesus. 
There was the religious, the Romans, the crowds, lots of people over the course of his life. But he got angry about those who dishonored his father's house. He got angry when he saw people being mistreated. And the disciples, John tells us, remembered the scripture, the Old Testament scripture. Zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus' passion for God's house, Jesus' passion for the church, they saw it in that moment that his house, God's house, would be what it meant to be. And they saw his passion for God's house, but they also saw his passion for justice. You see, the money changes while they were just hiking the prices up. I mean, post-pandemic, it feels to me like the price of everything's going up. Does it to you right now? They're just rising right now. You know, petrol prices are going up and food prices are going up, etc. And, and the money changes, they were just hiking the price of everything up. And the worst thing they were doing is that the poor people would come at Passover to make an offering, a worship offering. And the, 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 the simplest way they would do that is to just bring some doves. They were the cheapest things. Well, they were hiking the price of doves up and extorting the poor. You know, because when you visited the temple, you would bring an offering, just like coming to church. You know, you, you, you bring your worship, you bring your body, you bring your gifts as an offering. And outside of the temple, a pair of doves were four pence, but inside the temple, they were 75 pence. You see, why was Jesus upset? Not because of what anyone did to him. He was angry on behalf of those who were being mistreated. I'm praying that like Jesus, we will have a passion for God's house. We will have a passion for God's house, but we will also have a passion for those that are mistreated in our world. Amen? For the injustices in our world. And I am praying that that zeal won't be directed that they should change, but first of all, it'll change me and it'll change you. Amen? The second thing is Jesus flipped tables. He didn't flip people. He didn't get, well, no, I won't say that. <laughs> Let's say it like this. He flipped tables. He didn't flip off. He didn't do any hand gestures. He did have a whip. He didn't punch anybody. He didn't swear and shout. He didn't flip off, but he flipped tables. You see, the table represented the system that was supporting the hypocrisy and the mistreatment and the extortion of people. The table represented the system that should have been used for good but was now being used for bad. That should have been a place of healing and restoration and forgiveness and life but actually was just now being a place of extortion. So he turned the tables and he disrupted the system that kept that injustice alive. When we feel strongly about something, it's easy to believe that our position is a righteous position, isn't it? Or a righteous posture. But just because we feel strongly about something doesn't necessarily mean we're right. It doesn't mean we should be on the lookout for tables to flip. You know, for example, maybe, I don't know, maybe you've been angry about masks. Um, you know... I don't want to be too controversial this week, you know, but masks to me are the new Brexit. 
It's the new thing that's making people angry. You remember Brexit, by the way? That was that thing that happened way back when, whatever. I've seen people this week angry because people aren't wearing masks. They don't care. They don't care about other people. I've also seen people angry about people that are wearing masks. They don't care. We want to get our life back to normal. You see, it's so easy when you get angry about something to think that you're angry is righteous. And so we demonize people. Both sides of that anger feel that they're righteously right. That their anger is justified. And who knows what's right? But so many people, in their effort to be right, have forgotten to be loving. And that can happen to us too. If our anger, we don't climb down from wrong anger and have righteous anger. Make sure we don't let our unrighteous anger forget, means we forget to be loving. Don't let our unrighteous anger justify unloving behavior, the treatment of another. Because remember what Jesus said, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. You do to me. Our goal isn't just to be right. Our goal is to be loving. To be angry like Jesus. Angry on behalf of others. Flipping tables if we have to, but not people. He restored in that action proper respect for God's house. Proper order and proper activity that removed injustice in that place. It restored the temple from a place of extortion and mistreatment to a place of healing. I just love that, how Matthew says that, that then the lame and the sick and the blind came to him and he healed them in the temple. We don't flip people, but we might flip tables. And the last thing I want to share, and it's a long point, this one, so I'll say it slowly. When Jesus got angry, he restored God's house to the place it should be, a place of prayer and a place of healing for those who were hurting. You see, Jesus didn't direct his anger against the temple. The temple had a purpose. He addressed his anger towards restoring the temple to what it should be. So many people will say, you know, Christians are like this, or Christians are like that, or these people have hurt me, etc., etc. And they direct their anger towards something, rather than towards restoring that relationship, restoring that church community, restoring that worship. It is written, Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers, the blind and the lame then came to him at the temple, and he healed him, healed them. Matthew 21, 13, and 14. We say it a lot, don't we, at Icon Church? Jesus' work is building his church, and we also then say it's our work too. And sometimes you can, we can be angry, but sin not. 
We can be angry and passionate about something, but direct it to restoring the order, the purpose, the vision that God has for his people. We can be angry, but restore it to helping the poor, the marginalized, the sick, the blind, and the lame. Jesus didn't just flip tables. He restored worship. He brought worship back, and he helped the hurting, and he healed the sick. They came to him, it says, at the temple. I love that. They met Jesus in church. There's power in church. They were healed in church. Every time we see Jesus angry, he's not yelling. He's not criticizing the people who are hurting him. He's not leaving and abandoning people. But he's putting right what's wrong. He's active. He's doing his part. Imagine what would happen in 2021 if uh, we'd got corrupt money changers, you know, around. There'd be a big news story, wouldn't it? It'd be linked to the press on corruption. It would trend on Twitter. Cancel the money changers, they'd be saying. Cancel the money changers. Hashtag, they kept the change. Because we've got this cancel culture. You can be a celebrity, an athlete, a politician, a pastor, a company. And you do something or you say something wrong and the whole of your life is discounted, the rest of your life. Well, Jesus thought about those who were hurt or mistreated and he actually restored them. And he restored worship. He didn't... He didn't cancel the Pharisees. He didn't cancel the Romans. He didn't cancel Herod, Judas, or Peter, who all mistreated him. He didn't cancel any of them. The Pharisees were wrong. Pilate was wrong. Jesus, Judas, sorry, was wrong. Herod and Peter were wrong. But just because you've been wrong, with God you will never be canceled. And I'm so thankful that God canceled my sin. He didn't cancel me. Let me say that again as we close. I'm so thankful that God cancels our sin. He doesn't cancel us in Rotherham today, in Sheffield today, in Chesterfield and online today. God doesn't cancel us. He cancels our sin. Look what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. He tells us, he reminds us, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. That's a big phrase, isn't it? He canceled the charge which stood against us and the charge that condemned us. Jesus canceled that. He took that away, nailing it to the cross. But he didn't cancel you and he didn't cancel me. When Jesus flipped tables, he restored God's house to a place of healing, to a company of people who were bringing good news, that would welcome everyone, that would be a place of forgiveness, of restoration. And that's our work today, to get angry, to get angry, but actually point it towards restoring God's house to the place that God wants it to be. He never used his anger to tear anyone down. But he did use anger to build people up for people to be restored. So my prayer today, as I close, is that we will all use anger 
We'll climb down from unrighteous anger, but we'll use righteous anger on behalf of those who are mistreated. We'll direct it. We'll point it in the right direction. We'll climb down from that anger that destroys us, that destroys relationships, that gives the enemy a room in our world that separates us. We'll, we'll, we'll climb down from that, but we'll step into an anger, that co- a passion, a zeal that causes us to build God's house. Don't use anger for a reason. My prayer is we won't use anger for a reason for unloving behavior. Jesus is known for his love, not his anger. We don't want the church to be known for its anger, do we? We want the church to be known for its love. You might be right about something, but that's not the question. Are you right? The question is, are you loving? Are you loving? And my prayer is that we will have a passion like Jesus. The scripture calls it a zeal for God's house to build it, to make it a place so that we can continue to see it be a place, icon church, where people can be healed, can be restored, can find faith. You know, just this last week, a a parent was talking to Jeannie about their child and saying, since this child, this teenager has been coming to church, their life has been totally transformed. They're different in the home. They're different in school. They want to be at church all the time. And their future plans revolve around what, you know, what you're going to do when you grow up. Their future plans revolve around being planted in God's house and following Jesus. And this parent is saying, this young person has been healed. They've been restored because they were so worried. At the prayer meeting this Thursday, I mentioned some statistics. Just in the last eight weeks at Icon Church, since the two prayer meetings, what has God done in that period? I talked about the fact that 30 people, 30 couples, sorry, were on the marriage course, and I think they're all still married. But we saw in four of our campuses, 39 people at at welcome lunches since that time. Derby have gone back to in-person services so that all our physical campuses are now meeting. We've seen 54 people make decisions to follow Jesus since the 21st of May. 74 new people in our campuses for the first time in just eight weeks. That's nearly 10 a week, isn't it? Isn't that awesome? We've had stories of healing. Because God's house should be a place of healing. Uh, there was a story that where someone had a tumor and um, the doctors didn't believe that they would be able to get the, all the tumor out because it was in a, a difficult position. But the Connect Group had been praying. And when the doctors went to perform the operation, they were able to get the whole of the tumor out and give a prognosis that will mean restoration and life for a person in the future. Someone else, I've got someone else uh, had, a t- had a tumor and they went for their first session of treatment. They, they w- then went back for a scan to see what happened a few weeks later. And they were scheduled for several sessions of treatment while the tumor completely gone. Just one session of treatment. Someone else in, uh, in Stocksbridge, in the Connect had been praying for one of the ladies who'd been having for a long time pain in a foot. 
And about three weeks ago, they prayed for her, and she's had no pain since they laid hands on her and they prayed for her. You see, I believe today that we can climb down from human anger that gives the enemy a foothold, but we can embrace the zeal that brings glory to God, the passion for God's house and a passion for people. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? Father, I thank you for your word today. We thank you for Paul's words, be angry, but do not sin. And we ask you to help us today. We will get angry. It's a human emotion. We'll get angry about all kinds of things. But I pray we'll never let that anger step into sin. And we'll never let that anger open a door for the enemy. We won't do that. But we will be passionate for the house of God. And we will turn over some tables so that what you want can be restored and what you want can be accomplished. Would you help us, God, today? Would you help us not to be known for what we're angry about, what we're against, but would you help us to be loving? Father God, baptize us in love, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.